0: Welcome inside the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm Justin Quinn of Celtics Wire with Alex Goldberg of Off the Glass, and we're going to talk all things media week with special guest John Corrales of Mass Live. particularly how worried we should be about Kemba Walker's knee and how much we're going to love Tristan Thompson. Most importantly, we're going to hear about his new book, uh, Corrales' not Tristan's, and we'll get into that shortly. Welcome to the show, John. How are you doing? I appreciate you having me. Thank you. So We've got some stuff to talk about. Some news has happened since we've potted last. One of the, you know, the big signing of, of the offseason uh, here, Emile Jefferson has signed an exhibit 10 contract. What is an exhibit 10 contract? I mean, should we uh, be expecting to see a yeah.
1: team? An exhibit exhibit 10 contract basically means that you're here to get cut and go to the main red clause to get a little extra bonus for going to the main red clause. Um, it's a, it's a developmental contract that allows a team a closer look at a player who may not quite be NBA-ready but has a an intriguing skill set, and that player can go to that team's G League team and further develop and then from there perhaps hook on with the team. Uh, but the thing about the Exhibit 10 is it does allow for a player to – get away it's not control of a player for a year it's basically we're we're giving you a little extra we want to develop you We want to see what you got and and maybe you can you can come out of this as a member of the Celtics but if he goes to the G League and kills it and the Detroit Pistons say hey we like this kid they have an opportunity to offer him a contract and he can go
2: and, you know, God knows the Pistons could use more centers, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> the Pistons just hoarding all the bigs. I don't know what the Pistons are doing this year, but, you know, hey.
2: Uh, I think the right way to think about this contract is that this is an added bonus to the Jason Tatum-Max extension. Emil Jefferson and Tatum were, of course, teammates at Duke. They appear to be friends in real yeah. life. Uh, in, ta- in fact, Tatum actually tweeted. Yeah, uh, the sign him- tweet a tweet about signing emil jefferson after he played well in uh, a game in europe so uh, i think that's kind of the this is the celtics taking care of jason in more ways than just financially
1: yeah yeah that makes sense i mean this is we're now getting into the portion of celtics team building where you see stuff that appeases their star you know like there's the teardown and you know the the sam presti hoarding the picks. We've seen that there's the flipping assets for, you know, better players and getting that, those, you know, making those draft picks, realizing those draft picks. And now that one of those draft picks has hit into a potential MVP player. Now it's like, okay, Jason, do you know how much we love you? Oh, Emil. Oh, we've loved him forever. Yeah. We were going to sign him anyway. So you didn't have to say anything like that type of stuff is what, what, what we're going to start seeing over the next few years, because Tatum not only signed that extension, he's got a player option for that fifth year. And, you know, that's one less year under team control. So, you know, Hey, when that, when he opts out of that, are we going to have another Hayward Horford type of situation, or are we going to have what Anthony Davis just did with the Lakers and sign another contract long-term? Sounds like
0: he's pretty happy, at least now. And this sort of thing is definitely good for keeping him
1: happy. Yeah. But everybody's happy when they sign a $200 million contract. I mean, how can you not be? True. (laughs) Um, There were some other
0: things going on this week in the East. I'm not really sure how much it's going to impact either team or the East in particular. But maybe, you know, it'll make, depending on how it works out, um, the East a little bit Tougher uh, in the middle of the pack, anyway, and I'm speaking specifically about the John Wall uh, Russell Westbrook trade. Um, what are our thoughts on how that might impact the East? I, I think so. One
2: thing that you know comes to mind is obviously the Wizards were kind of right on the verge of making the playoffs last year and couldn't do it, uh, and that was without John Wall for the second of a season where that he missed entirely uh, because of injury. So. In the short term, you have to think, Russell Westbrook, say what you will about him. You know, he's, he's had his ups and downs, but he's still a pretty darn good NBA player. Uh, and I have to think that that would boost their chances for making the Eastern Conference playoffs as maybe a seven or eight seed this year. But I think the bigger effects on the Eastern Conference have less to do with what the Wizards are going to look like this year and more to do with what the Wizards are gonna look like in the long-term future. If Westbrook continues to be a super high usage point guard with uh, taking a ton of shot attempts and perhaps not in the most efficient or team-friendly manner, uh, and if this doesn't work out as well as maybe I think the Wizards front office is hoping, then I think this move could certainly open the door to Bradley Beal getting moved down the line.
1: Mm. I, I agree with that. I think this has the potential. I think they might've made this move with hopes of keeping Beal and it could certainly backfire because Beal needs the ball in his hands and Westbrook needs the ball in his hands. And, and the thing about the wizards this year is they've got, they've got shooting on the floor around Westbrook and They'll have space, and he'll have space. He was an all-NBA player this past season. So, and with space to operate, he is going to attack. Now, what does that mean for Beal? Does that create more space for Beal to operate? Then he might be happy with this. You know, Westbrook using a spread pick and roll to get to the rim, uh, and then at some point turning and flipping a pass out to Beal, who can then – Cycle in behind him and get to the rim himself or get some open space to shoot some threes. If Beal finds himself playing off of Westbrook and, and enjoying the space that that's, that that creates, then maybe that does work out for the wizards. I do think that this does push the wizards potentially into the playoff hunt. And you got to remember that the wizard, the, the playoffs this year, it's a play in. So it's, you don't have to be the eighth seed. You can be ninth or 10th and still have a shot in the, at the playoffs. So the Wizards are certainly in in the top 10 in the East, but they may even be a little further up, 6th or 7th. So they they really can make some noise if these things work out offensively and Westbrook um uh, can can gel with Bradley Beal. So besides
0: that, there's other issues that may affect how the playoff race shakes out and chief among them may be how available players are um, as they come back to their teams we're seeing 8.8 i believe positivity rates uh, for covid and that's not a huge boost but in the same general neighborhood i think was 7.1 ahead of the restart positivity rates for players now Considering that everything is very condensed into a shorter period, it seems to me that we may be in a situation where if someone has to sit for you know even just the minimum ten days, you could easily miss like a significant portion of the, the, the year schedule. Um, maybe even as much as ten percent of it, depending on how how the case goes. Um, should we be concerned about this kind of like level of positivity rate? I mean some of the players like Marcus smart during his media, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but Marcus smart said that he was pretty happy with how the league has been conducting its coronavirus protocol. Um, But I mean, there's some real potential for disaster, isn't there?
1: I think so. I think, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the way things are going, but I also understand that they weren't going to go back into the bubble. That was mentally taxing and financially taxing for the league. It was just not sustainable for a full season. Now, if they get through the regular season and they find themselves kind of struggling to get through the regular season and just make it, they may set up a playoff bubble. That's always a a possibility. And uh, I think for the sake of keeping things fair and healthy, like that, that could, that could be something that they do, but that's all, that's a short time. Hmm. So that might be more, uh, both sides might be more minimal to something like that, but we're talking about young people who think they're invincible no matter what and they're going from city to city and they're going to be bored and so they're going to take chances that they're they think they can get away with and and some of them are going to expose themselves because it's just it's too rampant so uh, if anybody you know you go to New York you spend uh, you know four days in New York playing a Knicks Brooklyn, you know, back to back. I, I can't imagine that those guys are going to sit inside and read all night. You know, even if there are curfews, even things that even if there are things that are shut down. New York, I used to live in New York. I'm. You can find anything you want in New York at any time of day, no matter what. And these guys with their resources will find it. So it's going to be an issue this year. And Luka Doncic, I think, had uh, like the best quote of the preseason where, basically he was asked like who, who can come out on top and this is the team that doesn't have COVID. Cases. Like that's, that's what we're looking at. Because like you said, guys can be out, even asymptomatic guys can be out for like two weeks. So you're talking about a guy two weeks out and then you still have to pass a, a myriad of tests. You have to pass cardiac tests to come back. That if, if it sweeps through one team, Oof. I don't know how the league is going to react, but you know, if it hits a couple of guys on the team, if it if it's Jalen Brown and Jason Tame and Marcus Smart, all three of them are in the same place at the same time, what happens to the Celtics? It's their three best players. So that that's going to be that's going to be tough. And I want to see how the league handles that.
2: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Um... You know, I, I'm thankful that Grant Williams is on this team for a lot of different reasons, but one of them is that Grant can organize a nice Catan party uh, in the hotel room and board make, game. Then exactly, do do some fun, wholesome activities that don't involve going outside. I don't see
1: Marcus Smart playing Catan. <laughs> Maybe
2: we'll see. Uh, no, I think I think it is a really serious issue, and I think you know if we're comparing to other leagues and how they've handled this. Obviously, the bubble was kind of the best case scenario for how this can work out, but uh, you have to take into account that um, coronavirus is, of course, spreading more rapidly now than it was then by a substantial degree all across the country. Uh, In addition, uh, you know, the NFL is currently Undergoing a whole lot of issues as a result of coronavirus. We're having, you know, last week, for example, the Broncos had to call up a third string wide receiver to play quarterback for them. Not just, they just lost that game. So I definitely agree there are going to be some issues where teams will lose large chunks of critical players that, that we just have to factor that into this year. And I think perhaps even more concerning is that, you know, for all of the stuff that we do know about COVID-19, we still really don't know much about the long-term effects on people's health. And obviously, you know, these guys are young and in their physical primes and have a lot of money and access to elite healthcare. But, you know, there are people who, there are stories of people suffering severe long-term lung damage as a result of this. And uh, I think that's, you know, there's an issue there both with, kind of player health and length of careers and also with contracts. We, a lot of these dudes coming up next season in a couple of seasons from now are going to be available for huge contracts and they're going to need to be uh, have their their best long-term health outlook possible going into those years. So I think it's going to be challenging. Uh, I think you could start to see maybe some labor issues as well. Uh, we'll just have to see how it plays out and hopefully a vaccine is ready to go sooner rather than later.
0: Well, the C's put out their schedule, speaking specifically to how condensed some of these games are going to be. And it's not just going to be condensed for Boston early. It's also going to be very, very tough. It's probably the toughest start I can recall to a Celtic season, It's basically – there's not a lot of games in December, but there's no easy games in December. Um, January is okay with a couple of games against Detroit, Chicago, and Orlando, and then games against the Knicks, Spurs, and Wizards, really the only easy games out of 16. Um, February only has Sacramento, another game against Washington that are definitely easy out of 15 games with March closing with the Clippers and Toronto. Uh, before all-star week. So they are really going to be putting these young guys into a crucible. Um, they'll also be doing it on national television for the large portion of the, the first half of the schedule, the 18 national TV games. I think it's the most in the league according to the press release. What are you
1: guys thoughts about the schedule? It's, you know, I, I, I don't like what, what this looks like. I, I don't, it's, Aside from it being compressed, aside from it being you know uh, a lot in a short amount of time, um, I, I just don't I don't like I don't like the the travel. I, I just don't like the. It, I'm, I'm going back to the COVID thing. I just I don't like the way this is going. Um, but billions of dollars are at stake, so they're going to do this. Um, <clears throat> but look, th- this is going to be tough. They're you know they're going to be struggling without Kimball Walker for a while. Um, this is going to put the the, the real spotlight on Jason Tatum. I mean, you look at the schedule, I think this is pretty clear and and why the Celtics are on national TV 18 times is Jason Tatum. I and mean, we're looking at a guy that is is hoping to make another jump into MVP consideration. He's third team all NBA. Now he wants to go first team all NBA. And not only that, that that's what triggers the the contract escalator that will bring him from 163 to 195, but uh, this is the focus is on him and him and Jalen Brown. And it, it's, it's really going to be on them to carry the team through this stretch. If, if like, I think Tatum has the potential to really make an early MVP case. If he can carry the Celtics and be a 20 to 25 point a game scorer, have some, you know, assists, some signature plays, if he can help the Celtics to a, a good record early, then with all of the national attention on him, this is the opportunity for him to to kind of jump out and people say, hey, wow, well, this kid's really taking off, just signed a big extension, and now look at what he's doing. So if anything that comes out of the schedule is, I'm thinking that if Jason Tatum can, can rise up, then he has the potential to, to really make some noise league-wide.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that the beginning of the schedule is um, a huge run for potential for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I think Brown also has to be thrown into that equation, you know, with the departure of Gordon Hayward, uh, with the fact that we're not going to see Kemba Walker for um, at least a couple of weeks, uh, by the sounds of things. Jalen has a real opportunity to, uh, like, shore up his status as an all-star in the making. And uh, he's going to get a lot more touches. He's going to be asked to be, I think, a focal point of uh, the team, both on offense and defense. And obviously, you know, Tatum is the guy. The Celtics want him to be the face of the franchise. But, um, you know, as we've seen in the past, unless you're, you know, a LeBron James or a Giannis Antetokounmpo level player, it's really hard to win against the best teams with just one dude uh, going off. You need to have depth and you need to have uh, quality running mates early in the season. Um, And I think this is a real opportunity for Jalen to shine, but, you know, and just to say one more thing on this, I think kind of, we talk about the loss of Gordon Hayward uh, in the off season. I think it's fair to say that by the end of his time on the Celtics, Hayward was not as impactful a player as a lot of people, myself included thought he was going to be at the start. Uh, that being said, the loss of Hayward in the offseason, um, regardless of what you think at him, uh, about him as a player, means that the Celtics' margin for error is a lot smaller than it was. Uh, you know, Gordon Hayward missed a lot of time as a kind of injury-prone player. He also averaged 17 points a game on really good efficiency last year. So, um, and if, you know, with Kemba potentially out for a couple of weeks with a really difficult early schedule.
0: Uh,
2: I think this is going to require some young dudes on this team that maybe we didn't have as immediate expectations of. To They're going to be tested early. I think you're going to see uh, whether Aaron Nesmith or Peyton Pritchard are ready to go very quickly. I think you're going to see an increased role for Grant Williams. Uh, I think you're going to have to figure out what you have in Robert Williams as well.
0: That is a thing that is not getting mentioned Robert Williams doesn't really fit into this rotation very well. And I'm really curious to see how he's going to be used. That was the thing I've been trying to um, find out for the last several pressers. Um, Haven't been able to ask that question yet. But uh, speaking of the pressers uh, for media week, uh, we had some really good ones. Uh, I wanted to talk specifically about Tristan Thompson's uh, and a particular interruption um, if maybe you could talk about that a little bit, John. Uh, I thought that he's he's really like I, I remembered him from when we were playing uh, the Cavs when when the Celtics were playing the Cavs um, fairly often in the postseason. But I didn't really pay attention to him uh, in the same kind of a way that you do when a guy is on the team that you follow. And he's really interesting. He is thoughtful. He puts a lot of time into answering his questions. Um, and he's really, he's got some, I won't, I won't say it's a tick, but a tendency to, to mention a certain player that I am surprised people are not, uh, getting rubbed the wrong way by it. Maybe you could talk about that.
1: Oh, you know, LeBron. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think the interruption you're talking about is when I was, I was asking Tristan about, I was trying to make the comparison. You played with LeBron now you're playing with Jason Tatum who wants to become LeBron like um, although nobody's LeBron you know and i just wanted to say like hey you you played with this great guy you want to play with this, you're playing with this guy who wants to be great what can you what can you impart on him so the way i phrased it was you played with arguably like one of the greatest players of all time and he leans in and goes the best player of all time uh, Which, hey, you know, you got that firsthand knowledge. That's how you want to play it. That's fine with me. A lot of people will make that same argument. Um, I think people, like, I know that there's pushback with LeBron stuff in Boston. A lot of people do not like LeBron James, but whatever your opinion of LeBron James, it is unmistakable that he is at least one of the best players in NBA history. You don't want to put him number 1? That's fine. You want to, even if you want to put him number 5, I don't care because the 5th best player in NBA history is still one of the greatest players of all time. So wherever you want to rank LeBron, like even your hate can't can't push him that far down the list. So look, Tristan Thompson played with LeBron at at his peak and won a championship with LeBron. And so he has inside knowledge of what it's like to be great, what it's like to be around a great, an all-time great, and what it takes for a guy like that. The work that he puts in, the way he handles his teammates, the way he, he just carries himself, like that is important stuff to me. And you're right. Tristan is a very thoughtful guy with his answers, and I'm not used to that around the Celtics because they really like to play it close to the vest. There anytime they can throw out a stock cliche answer, they'll do it. That's how they want to operate. They don't want any headlines, they don't want any controversy, they want all the stories to just kind of like be medium level, you know, whatever. They don't want to have big headlines and ooh, this quote was great. Like, but Tristan Thompson is a he 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 actually thoughtfully answers his questions. And when he answers his questions, mentioning LeBron, he he speaks obviously very highly of him. He has a very high opinion of LeBron. He appreciated the time he played with LeBron. And he thinks that having played with LeBron, he gives him a lot to offer the Boston Celtics. And I think that's part of why they they brought him in. They brought him in for that. And they brought him in because he was on that Cavaliers team that was down 3-1 and came back to beat a 73-win team. And they brought him in because the Celtics – had multiple 20-point leads in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they blew them all, and they had mental lapses and stupid turnovers. And I don't think it's any surprise that Tristan Thompson from that team that came back from 3-1 is here now to show these guys, hey, this is mentally, in those situations, this is how you got to carry yourself. not what you guys just did against Miami, because, frankly, that loss to Miami pissed Danny Ainge off. And you can tell. And bringing Tristan Thompson in, I think, is a direct result of that. Absolutely.
2: You know, so I really like the Tristan Thompson signing this offseason. I think, um, you know, the Celtics offseason, for my money, did not look super good after Hayward signed on to the Charlotte deal. And uh, it was a way to really kind of rebound, so to speak. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, you know, I I think the Tristan Thompson fit is going to be a really good one. Uh, I talked to some Cleveland fans after that happened. Yes, they do still exist. Uh, And, uh, you know, the things that they mentioned were that Tristan, uh, for all of his off the court affairs, shall we say um
0: oh you're just killing us today man (laughs) (laughs)
2: um tristan for all for all of that you know he was beloved in cleveland as a teammate even after lebron left uh, a lot of the young dudes there viewed him as a kind of leader uh both uh kind of on the court and in the locker room Uh, i saw some footage from Cavs games last year while i was kind of watching highlight videos trying to see what tristan might bring to the team And, you know, there's stuff where Tristan is in the huddle. He's diagramming plays. He's telling dudes where they need to be. You know, I I think this is Danny Ainge. And I think, John, you just kind of spoke to this. Danny Ainge wanted to get guys who are battle tested, who have been in the trenches and who really know how to win in the games that matter. And if there's anything that we've seen from Tristan Thompson's career Uh, It's that he is a good guy to have in those games. I think you can have him on the floor in the critical moments of, you know, the East finals or the NBA finals, maybe, you know, he he can be that guy. He's a really smart teammate. It seems like everybody in the locker room likes being around him. And uh, I'm really excited to see what he can bring both to the team and to the press docket. You know, I think, you're definitely right to say that the Celtics have adopted kind of the Belichick way of handling the press conferences for the most part. But uh, I think Tristan can provide some, some really positive energy to this team and really uh, help them take the next step.
0: He actually kind of, kind of uh, fits the bill of the not really saying much while saying things, at least in his introductory presser. He, he talked about how he's a fun guy, I think, several times. We um, he did say some interesting things besides that. Uh, he has been going to see Jalen Brown play since he was in Wheeler High School, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and also speaking of Wheeler High School, Jalen Brown started his uh, availability speaking about changing the name of Wheeler High. I um, wanted to get you guys thoughts on him doing stuff like that.
2: I'm. Uh, I mean, Jalen Brown is my favorite player on this team. Uh, I think the stuff that he does off the court is as important, if not more so, than the stuff he does on the court. Uh, I think his teammates really respect his vision and his leadership, particularly uh, with stuff like uh, with the NBA Players Union, where he's now a vice president, um, and you know he's kind of emerged uh, in the wake of uh, some of the kind of Black Lives Matter. Uh, protests that the NBA has been uh, working with, he, he's really emerged as a leader on that front. Um, I think his teammates respect it and I think they're kind of empowered by uh, how open and how kind of serious he is about that work. So, you know, the more the better when it comes to Jalen Brown, the activist. I'm, I'm thrilled that he's gonna keep it going and uh, I'm happy that he's gonna be on this team for at least a few more years doing that.
1: I think he carries on a little bit of a tradition of Boston Celtics activism, going back to the days of Bill Russell. Um, this is important work that he's doing. And um, it's important that people understand the type of work that he's doing. <clears throat> okay. So renaming Wheeler high school, <clears throat> excuse me, very important work because you don't want to honor a Confederate general, uh, the people who fought to keep slavery, uh, that's, that is something that on, on one level really sends a message of like, look, we're, we're going back to the, the beginning and we're not going to, we're going to erase some of these mistakes. He is not concerned with surface level stuff he's he's not trying to chop the head off the dandelion he's trying to pull it out by the roots and I think one thing that is extraordinarily important the work that he's doing is the work with kids in schools and education reform yes. and bringing um, stem that program with NASA Goddard that he's working on to bring stem uh, curriculum to underserved communities uh, his, and I, I I remember this from when I was in school that you have this tiered section when I was in middle school, you had the seventh grade going from 701 to 714. And 714 was, you know, the path to like a vocational technical high school. And the 701s were like the advanced kids. And what made what what made those tiers? Like you've already predetermined our lives. Yep. And that is Horrible. Now, at the time we sit there and we say, all right, I'm in the 701s and I'm in the 710s and you know, whatever, you just go along your business. You look back and you're like, wow, Jalen is right. That is, that is horrible to put everybody in those tiers like that. And then you go to certain communities where the bottom tiers look similar and the top tiers look similar. And it's no surprise that a lot of white kids are in the top tiers and a lot of black kids are in the bottom tiers. And what does that have to do with? That's opportunity, that's systemic holding back people from not just the young age, from generations. So Jalen Brown's focus on giving these kids in these communities equal opportunity is the basis for all of his activism. That's where he wants to go. He wants to make sure no special treatment, no nothing. It's equal treatment give everybody the same opportunity and then it'll shake out how it shakes out. But if it's important to give everybody the exact same opportunity. So I commend Jalen Brown for doing that kind of work at a high level and using a platform that he has to, to make that happen. He understands that this is, this is his window of opportunity and and he's seizing it. And I think it's impressive.
0: I, I actually, I could not be happier. He's on the team. Um, As a journalist, I'm not supposed to inject my political opinions into the work that I do, but having someone who is already doing that kind of thing for us, um, it really makes me happy because, as you said, with Bill Russell, he is my favorite Celtic all around because of what he did off the court as much as, if not more than what he did on the court. And to see kind of a a second coming, if you will, of that on the Celtics now, it's just been an absolute joy to cover. Um, Speaking to your your point about tracking, um, I grew up really poor. I was put into the VOAG kind of, um, you're never going to go to college, uh, track things. And, you know, through a lot of hard work and a little bit of systemic racism, I was able to get a PhD. And I say a little bit of systemic racism because I was poor. And I did dumb crap when I was a kid, like shoplift, and I got caught. And when I got caught, I was put on probation and not sent to juvenile hall. And then when I didn't get to my meetings on time, instead of ending up into the criminal justice system on a permanent basis, they gave me a bicycle so I could get to my, my meetings on time. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's, that's what happens to me and for my whole life until I got to college and started learning about systemic racism it didn't even occur to me that this was not normal for a large chunk of the population. And you just, you don't see that kind of a thing. So for him to use his platform in the way that he does um, to not just raise awareness, but to systematically go after the route that creates these kinds of situations. I think that's absolutely critical. Um, I don't want to go too deep into uh, Jalen's activism um, but we really should sometime <laughs> maybe do a whole pod on it. Um, Let me know when you want to do that pod. I'm happy to be absolutely. a part of that. That's <laughs> important stuff. Agreed. But there is also some very important stuff of an entirely different sort going on with Boston. Um, it was one of the first pressers that we, we had uh, for media week, and that would be Kemba Walker. Uh, who um, I feel so bad for him because every presser he's in now it's the only questions he gets for the most part. But I mean, it's kind of unavoidable because he takes up a significant chunk of the Celtics cap space and they're going to need the best they possibly can get out of him. But we're not really sure exactly what we're going to see from his knee. We do know um, that he was going to be operating under this January protocol that they initially thought, um, is my understanding of how they kind of scheduled this this um, stem cell injection? Now, I am a doctor, but I am not a medical doctor, so I don't really know crap about this kind of stuff. Um, but maybe, John, you might be able to give us some background since I know that you you've worked through some injury as a basketball player in your past and have also spoken to some people um, about things like this previously. Sure.
1: What's going well, on? with I, they won't say that's that's the one thing that stands out. You ask Kemba, try to ask a bunch of different ways and they will not say exactly what it is. Try to infer from the stem cell injection that it is, that is typically some kind of treatment for arthritis. So when you think about the plan, the stem cell injection, which, which promotes healing, um, the strengthening around the knees, when, when you're doing a strengthening program like that, you're trying to get the muscles to handle more of the shock of the stops and starts. When the muscles are stronger, they can hold the the mechanism of the joint in place. When the muscles aren't strong enough, that's when the bone, if you're you're dealing with an arthritic situation, the bone is more likely to start hitting. But if the muscles can keep that in place, you're going to get less of that bone on bone reaction. I can tell by the look in your face, you know how painful that is. That is the, the plan is to strengthen the leg to make sure the leg is handling the, the load of the shock. Every time you jump, I believe you put 10 times your body weight of stress on your joints. And every time you run, it's like five to six times your body weight. So these stops and starts, just it's a, it's a constant Think of it like a piston kind of like pumping, pumping, pumping. Um, I like to use the example of a wire hanger, where if you bend a wire hanger enough, eventually it'll, it'll snap. Yep. And that's, that's the, when we talk about load management, that's the, that's the phenomenon that I'm talking about. If you don't stop bending the, the wire hanger, it will eventually break. You have to like stop for a while so it can last longer. And so, I think the approach with Kemba, and and also when I hear that they aren't doing any surgery, that tells me that it's not a tendon. It's not something that can be repaired through. You know, you get like a cadaver tendon, like they would do in a Tommy John surgery. You know, you you replace something or suture something or whatever. Like that's not what's happening with him. So this is pain management. This is uh, this is something that I think is, frankly, the wear and tear of a small guard who is who has played a lot of basketball in his life, and this is what happens to small guards at this age. It starts to break down, and it starts to break down quickly. So I think while I'm concerned about his knee, there is almost a little bit of like, well, if I don't want to say it's only arthritis, but if they can find the plan, if the stem cell injection works and they can continue this type of course of action, they can manage the pain. And if Tatum and Brown and Marcus Smart and Ne Smith can be a shooter and Grant Williams can be a, you know, a glue guy and you know Tristan Thompson can catch a few lobs, like that can get you through then you can spend the next couple of seasons with Kemba managing his, his knee, getting through a regular season He's saying, eh, whatever. And then hopefully by the playoffs, he's ready to go. And, and everything is strengthened to an appropriate point. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I just think that the focus on, uh, Kemba's role is as important as the focus on Kemba's knee kind of going forward, uh, you know, kind of, John, you were you were just speaking to that effect, but, um, you know, a lot of a, a lot of the reason that this is such a big season for the Celtics, young guys for Brown and Tatum and Williams is uh, because Danny Ainge in the front office, I have no doubt want to keep Kemba on ice for as long as they possibly can. Uh, I think if they need to bring him back to get him in rhythm and to uh, get some wins, they probably will if things are not going well by, say, the first few weeks in the season. But uh, if they can afford any wiggle room here, if Tatum and Brown make the jump that we kind of hope that they can, and if they can afford to kind of keep Kemba just working on the leg to get it as strong as possible for the playoffs so that they don't have – the kind of flame out that uh, they, and in particular Walker had in the Eastern Conference Finals. um, I think that's the optimal scenario for them. And maybe that speaks to kind of the long-term planning for this team's future, finding ways to add players to the roster that will kind of lighten Kemba's minutes and games played burden. Um, I think his contract at this point is among the harder to trade contracts in the league. So
0: people see him play, I think. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So I think uh, it's reasonable to think that knowing that it's going to be really hard to trade Kemba. uh, It now becomes a question of how do you build the roster out as much as possible to maximize his effectiveness for when it matters.
1: This is, you know, I just want to add to that because if if you, you look at 30, 34.3 million this year, 36 next year and a player option for 37.6 the year after that. It's a lot of money for a guy that if, if this is how it's going to be for the next three seasons, then really what you're paying for is the playoff performance. And if you win a championship in that three years, then great, fine. Then none of this, none of this matters. But when you're looking at his money and how you're allocating your salary $36 million for a guy that's going to be kind of limited during the regular season is not money well spent. So now you start looking at the, if Kemba shows this year that this is manageable, it's fine. With a normal off season, he can manage it. And then next regular season, you know what? Maybe he doesn't play back-to-backs. Okay, fine. That's not a big deal. Um, You've got, you've got talent behind him that can handle that. It's fine. Uh, there are no back-to-backs in the playoffs. You deal with it. Then, okay, then it's okay. The problem is that if if it's less than okay and you can't trade him, you don't have the tools behind you to really make big splashes. They got Tristan Thompson this year because Gordon Hayward left and that opened up enough space for them to sign him to the full mid-level and hard cap themselves. So they can, they but without having to like worry about that hard cap so much. They can't do that next year because next year you've got Jalen Brown's big extension, Jason Tatum's big extension, which right now is at 28 million, but can go up to over 30 million. Mark is smart for one more year. If you still got Kemba on the books, you can't hard cap yourself because now you're doing some real cap gymnastics. You won't be able to sign anybody. So The Kemba Walker situation is is really worth watching because if he's less than okay this year and the Celtics lose confidence in him being okay, they may have to pay to offload him and see if an Oklahoma city type team exists next year. That's willing to accept a couple of assets. So you can get him off of your books and maybe you turn Kemba into two useful players or uh, a trade exception that you use to acquire those players. But that, that becomes an issue next, next off season that, that we have to watch. It'll be costly too, because really
0: the only draft assets Boston has left are its own picks of any value. And those aren't even going to necessarily be anywhere near the lottery, hopefully. Um, So Right. Because of that, you're going to have to give up one of the better young talents. I mean, this could be like Grant, this could be Rob, this could be Romeo. It's going to be somebody that they at least think that stands a very good chance of becoming a rotation player in the right. term. Which at,
1: at that point, you you might just say, Look, we have to we have to suck it up. And then maybe you wait one more year. Kemba opts in and he becomes the expiring contract, and you just say, Look, at least the expiring contract has value. So you might have to spend one season of less than optimal Kemba just because you can't trade him at that point. You have to wait one more year. So and that that handcuffs you a little bit because now you, you have the taxpayer mid-level versus the non-taxpayer. And that, you know, one less player that you can bring in. And look, yeah. Jason, Tatum, Jason Tatum could be an MVP candidate, and that might eliminate a lot of this stuff. But if he is in that 6 to 10 range and – you know, Jalen Brown's an all-star, but you still feel like, God, we need that one more guy. This, this puts you in a position where you can't have that one more guy.
2: Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be tricky and it's going to dictate a lot of how the next couple of seasons shape up for the Celtics. I, I want to go back to a point that um, I think Justin made, you know, in talking about, uh, and we talked about this uh, on the last pod that we did, uh, traded player exceptions and kind of how you can use those. Obviously, the Celtics still have a pretty massive trade exception from Gordon Hayward's uh, sign-and-trade to the Charlotte Hornets. You know, it's as much a function of who's out there as anything else. But maybe if you're Danny Ainge thinking about how to use that trade exception, uh, you can you have to consider kind of what Kemba's long-term plan is there and whether uh, it's maybe wise to use that trade exception on somebody who could uh, fill minutes at the guard spot. Now, that being said, I think one thing to keep in mind is that the Celtics already have a point guard on the roster uh, in Marcus Smart, who offers some real value. Uh, you know, this is a potentially first team all defense player whose three point shot has improved basically every year that he's been in the league and is kind of he, he's going to be in a much bigger role this year than I think he has been in prior seasons. He's also only 26 years old. So. Maybe the long-term answer to the guard spot is already on the roster. But even so, if that's the case, then you have to figure out how to maximize the effectiveness of Kemba, who's being paid a much bigger salary than Marcus Smart. And if, uh, if Marcus Smart is your long-term plan at point guard, then that probably means that you're, you're looking to move on from Kemba sooner rather than later.
0: We also have one other thing that we'd really like to talk about, and it's related to great Celtics players more generally, in fact, all-time. John, you recently published a book, The Boston Celtics All-Time All-Stars, the best players at each position for the Cs. Um, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about um, how how the book came into existence, um, like what, what made you want to write it, um, and a lot of other details. Um, you could... Tell us a little yeah. bit about how you
1: how wrote well, it. Well, I was actually approached to write the book um, by the publisher. They just launched this series of all-time All-Stars. I think at this point, only the Green Bay Packers all-time All-Stars exists. And so this is the first of their NBA series. And um, I, was, I was approached with just the topic. Hey, we want to do a book on the all-time All-Stars, Boston Celtics. Um, they were familiar with my writing and they they asked me if, I, if it's something I'd be interested in doing. And I love Celtics history. So I, I thought that would be great. Uh, but the formula, the approach and all of that was all up to me. And what I decided to do was make it like a real all-star team and not just go one through 12. This is These are the best players. I decided to say, an all-star team has 12 players. And so there are five positions. So I'm going to do the starting five, their backups at each position, and give myself two wild cards to add a couple of guys in. Uh, I also picked two coaches. So you have a coach and an assistant. And it's it really was just a, an exercise of trying to like, you go back to the beginning and you look at who were the best players in all of these generations. And then you try to sort of correct for the, the league as it was in the beginning, which was eight teams and what level of player success can be somewhat attributed to the Lack of competition, the lack of integration, and, and, and different factors back then that kind of allowed for certain players to maybe have a bigger role. What was your impact on the team? What was your impact on team history? And, and you know, just trying to whittle away some of the, the noise as best I could. Um, I'll tell you, I came into that thinking I knew for a fact that certain guys were going to be on this team. And at the end, I was like, I have to leave these people off. Uh, and it like pains me to leave some of these people off. But how do you, how do you pick 12 people out of all of Celtics history? Um, it's hard. And there are some overlooked people that when you really dive into everything that they accomplished, like this person needs to be on this team. And that is, that means there's no room for somebody else. So maybe you
0: could give us one person, I wanna ask you to name, You know, we want to read your book, but maybe you could name one person who either did or did not make the list that surprised you.
1: I'll tell you that I did have to play with positions a little bit. Okay. So we're looking at, let's look at the small forwards. Do you think about small forwards in Celtics history And there are three that come to mind right away in in chronological order, John Havlicek, Larry Bird, Paul Pierce. Now, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? Because I got two spots. I've created this hole for myself with two spots for each position. And I only got two wild cards. So how do I make this work? Well, John Havlicek, spent half of his career also listed as a shooting guard. So maybe I have to go out there and say, all right, well, maybe Havlicek makes this team and Larry Bird makes his team and Paul Pierce makes his team by shifting positions a little bit. And so that opens things up, which now creates one more opening on the wildcard team. So I'll, Without giving too much away, I will say that there is one Celtics legend that everybody loves to make this team that by switching Havlichek to a shooting guard, I was able to fill this guy in as a wild card. Um, and I feel like it was an appropriate, an appropriate honor, especially uh, considering the events of, of this past 2020.
2: Sounds to me like your book is taking a page out of Brad Stevens' positionless basketball
1: philosophy. You know, I could redo this as point guards, wings, and bigs, and come up, honestly, with a completely different – not completely different list, but, like, that's, that's where uh, you, you can kind of finagle with things. It's – there are obvious guys, right? Like, the starting five, knowing that I put Havlicek as a starting shooting guard – you can you can infer that Bob Cousy, Havlicek, Bird, you know, Bill Russell, those are those are starters. Power forward, you say, okay, maybe there's a little bit of the, a debate there. The real the real question is the backups. Who backs up Bob Cousy? Because there are some really good point guards in Celtics history. Who do I leave off from Celtics history? You know, I've got JoJo White. I've got Dennis Johnson. One of those guys doesn't make it, you know, I've got other players. I got power forwards like crazy. I've got, I've got centers like crazy, I'm, you know, Robert Parish, Collins, you know, there, there are names here that's like, wait, you're going to leave this guy off. Like, so it's, it's, a it's a hard, it's a hard practice. It's a hard exercise. I didn't, I don't want to reread the book because I'm going to look at it and be like, nope. no, I, I made a wrong wrong choice here
2: well if there's if there's one thing I know that I can peg for certain locked in, I guarantee this is the case. uh the Celtics commentating team all time is set rest in peace, Tommy Heinsohn. Shout
1: yes, out. I mean, come on, it's got to be Mike and Tommy like that's although I mean, Johnny most, how do I leave Johnny most off of this? I didn't pick I didn't pick a commentating team, but like i how can you leave? Gravely voice, Johnny most, you, you know, that that's he's Give the, soundtrack the to some of the best moments in Celtics history. So <laughs> I can try a three-man booth, but like so yeah, even see that's that's how legendary this franchise is. Even picking a broadcast team, I'm gonna have to leave somebody beloved off of that team.
0: Sorry, Scalabrine. <laughs> well, How is it different to write a book on sports rather than covering on a beat or a blog? Because I I mean, like, for me, I actually got into uh, writing about the Celtics as an exercise to warm up for my dissertation, and then it kind of just took off. Uh, But that's, you know, even those kind of things were very different in how I approached writing. So I imagine it's really different compared to covering, you know, like a beat,
1: beat. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of writing. I spent a lot of time in Cafe Nero in, in Somerville, (laughs) sitting there uh, sucking down coffee after coffee, going out, like eating like three meals in there, because that was just a space that was conducive to my work. I, I feel like I write in a conversational style as it is. And I feel like my writing is more conversation with a person than it is a manuscript that, you know, it's like a scroll, a parchment that you read out loud. Like that, I come from a TV background. And so I'm used to looking into a camera and talking to people. And so when I write, I write like I speak. And this is just me putting into words a lot of the things that I would want to say about these about these players. And so I, the difference in writing this book, and, and I, I'll also say this, writing this particular book is different than writing other books where people have to do a ton of interviews. Um, I only did a couple of different interviews because this is such an opinion based book. This is just me arguing with myself. So this book was really like, 50 to 60,000 words of me doing what I do in a thousand words uh, every day. So it's, it's mostly just me going back and forth with myself. But however, there's a ton of research that, that goes into it, like old interviews and, and finding quotes from old interviews that kind of highlight what I'm trying to say. And I did do a couple of interviews with people who were around that time and who were you know, in on some of these guys' careers. So research-wise, it, it, it did take a lot because how do I determine you know, uh, Bill Sharman, who played in the you know, 50s? How do I figure him out versus you know, you know, Danny Ainge or you know, whomever and you know, some of the, the more current players? you got to dive into that and, and not just look at the numbers and say, well, oh, he, his shooting percentage was terrible. Well, everybody's shooting percentage was terrible back then. Why? What's the context? So it's, it's that level of research that probably the take what I do for a regular piece on Mass Live and multiply it by 100. And that's basically the process of writing this book. So where can we find it? Anywhere books are sold, my friends. Everywhere books are sold. You go to Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, bookshop.org if you're looking to support some of the smaller booksellers. Uh, but uh, And I think it's starting to appear on shelves. So if you can safely find your way into a socially distanced face covering uh, bookstore, you may see it on shelves. I, I might at some point soon try to walk through a bookstore to have that ego boosting feel of seeing my book on a shelf. Um, It is still surreal, uh, but I haven't even gotten my shipment. They they give me a a few books that I can hand out, but uh, it should be available in physical stores soon, but you can, you can order it online and it will ship uh, within a week at this point. Very cool. So in time for Christmas. Yes, indeed. So you want to get a gift for a Celtics fan. This is the great way to do it. Indeed. Anything else that we are working on? Um, just <laughs> not, no big projects. No big projects. Uh, just getting ready for the, for the season. So, um, And of course the Lockdown Celtics podcast, which, um, which I do daily. So, uh, Thank you for that, by the way. Yeah. No, no, it's my pleasure. Uh, If you can't tell, I enjoy talking quite a bit. So uh, anything that, you know, the fact that people want to listen to the things I have to say, great. I'll keep talking. I'll just keep going. You're going to have to stop me.
2: Speaking of podcasts, I am going on the Off the Glass Outlet podcast on, I think, Tuesday is when we're scheduled to do that, uh, where I'm going to be talking with Nick Faye and Corey Waldron about uh, the saddest division in the NBA, and uh, I'll let you guess what that is, but uh, we're going to be doing just kind of preview for how that division is going to shape up in this season, and
0: we'll see. I should also mention this will be our first podcast but we will also be on the off the glass network, which is pretty cool. And of course you can always find my stuff on the Celtics wire as always. If you can find the pod on most podcatcher apps, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars. If you don't like something or have a suggestion, you know the drill. Or maybe you don't see a pod with a hashtag or on any article anywhere you can see the podcast. We're always trying to bring you the deepest dives into Celtics coverage, and hopefully we have. Take care, y'all.